What's up, everybody? This is Peter Nesbitt from Team Pay, and you're listening to Awkward Conversations, tales from the finance department. Finance professionals are often forced to be the bad guy, which can lead to some uncomfortable conversations with employees about business purchases. On this show, I sit down with finance leaders to discuss their most awkward conversations and what they've learned throughout their careers. Listeners can earn free CPE credit for listening to this podcast. Just download the Earmark CPE app from the App Store or visit earmarkcpe.com. Hi, everyone. My guest today is Nigel Glinday. Nigel's the CFO at Masterworks, an investment platform that makes it possible to invest in multi-million dollar physical art from artists like Banksy, Kaz, and Basquiat. Masterworks' mission is to democratize art investing, a $1.7 trillion asset class. Uh, thanks for being here, Nigel. Thanks, Peter. Great to be with you again. Yeah, no problem. So our podcast is called Awkward Conversations because finance is often forced to ask employees awkward conversations and questions about company spend. For example, why didn't you get this purchase approved in advance? Or, you know, why did you put 20K in the corporate credit card? So I would love to hear from you. Like, do you have any awkward finance conversations that you had with employees or even your CEO? And, you know, love to hear something from you just to kind of kick this off. Yeah, the, the very, very cool topic, Peter. Yeah, love love a good awkward conversation. You know, thankfully, as as a company, I, I think we've we've kept our awkward conversations, especially around expenses, at, at at a real minimum. You know, a lot of our sales force is is in house, so you know we don't have a team of people running around the country. You know, spending money that usually gives rise to some really you know great expense report conversations. You know, luck, luckily we've got a sales team that that is pretty good at coming to me when they're the things they do want to. Uh, you know they do need approval on we had a we had a holiday party last year which we had to cancel last minute you know o- omicron and you know i get a i wind mm-hmm. up getting a call later later on that night saying hey you know we uh we took everybody out to uh, you know such and such a place you know a, you know anyway and they all went off on, on their own do you mind if the company picks up picks up the tab i had to be like come on guys like no like we canceled the holiday party for a reason and Put it this way: even even their total tab was a pretty reasonable amount when you break it down mm-hmm. per person. So so that was a pretty easy conversation to say, "Hey, buddy, you gotta you gotta Venmo Venmo everybody the old old fashioned way to uh, to to cover your board tab." So we've been pretty fortunate in that um, you know this type of expense conversations have been have been pretty uh, pretty easy to uh, to manage so far. We get, I mean, when it comes to just you know, I, mm-hmm. I know you work a lot, you know, around sort of payment reconciliation stuff. Yeah. We get, we have to have a bunch of conversations like that, oftentimes with investors. Mm-hmm. So oh, yeah. we'll talk a little bit about, you know, masterworks and kind of all we do, but we're an incredibly vertically integrated company for, um, uh, you know, for an investment platform and that, yep. you know, we, we research the asset class we're in and art, and we'll talk a little bit about that. Uh, we do all mm-hmm. the securitization and, and, uh, we handle a lot of payment operations uh, as well. Mm. So a lot of the investor funds that come through, we, we build out entire workflows uh, to work work around that. And it's it's put us in a position of getting really deep in the weeds and dealing with certain types of payment methods that just things can go wrong with with different type of payment <laughs> methods that that always um, yeah. wind up you know wind up having to have conversations with with investors. We we use a number of payment methods that are really fantastic with straight through processing. Mm-hmm. But what I've discovered is, you know, other payment methods 
you know, that are, that are user initiated. So, you know, wires are your prime yeah. example. Any number of things can go wrong. Cash breaks can be very common. Someone's trying to send you a certain X dollar of money. They're going to be up or down by, by a few pennies that always winds up having, you always wind up having a, yep. a, an interesting conversation with them saying, Hey, listen, you, you're trying to send us a hundred bucks. You just sent us 99 bucks. We got to round down or round up. And then you wind up, you know, refunding pretty de minimis amounts of money to people. So I think it's just all part of the part and parcel of, of just running, running a, a you know, a, a pretty robust payment operation as, as we do, but you know, we've, we've been able to manage through it. Yeah. I mean, that's really fascinating. I'm really looking forward to hearing about that. So maybe we just jump into it. So this is such a great background on this intersection of, you know, finance yeah. and art. Like, you know, have you always been passionate about doing something art related and like, how did you really get into uh, Masterworks? Yeah, Matt, yeah, no, it's a it, 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 great question. I, uh, I've had a career that that has sort of spanned both both the art market and and finance mm-hmm. and, and masterworks in, in many ways was just an extraordinary overlap of the, those two kind of lanes of, of my career. I, I I began my career as an investment banker, you know, really had a toehold my career, you know, pre pre financial crisis, working at uh, both large financial firms and and much smaller scrappier firms as well. So I've, I've seen sort of different types of, of, uh, working environments. But, you know, during my time as a banker, I worked across a lot of, you know, niche specialty finance companies, uh, student lenders, consumer lenders, commercial lenders, all types of, of sort of balance sheet finance companies of, of one way or another. And we saw them in good times and bad. I, you know, I, mm-hmm. I again, I, I started my career, you know, pre-financial crisis, so a, a real boom time around different specialty finance products. Um, yep. I, you know, mm-hmm. it, it, interestingly, a number of finance products, you know, sort of, you know, SPACs and are, are a great example of, of things that, you know, the, there was an initial boom around those in 2006 and 2007 as well. And, yeah, and came all back this last year. Moment, yeah. uh, you know, came, came, came back, came back around. And then, you know, in, on the backside of the financial crisis, there's just a tremendous amount of cleanup work um, across all balance sheet lenders. Obviously, there's just huge upheaval across financial mm-hmm. services that made for just a very, very interesting stretch career-wise as, as a banker working in recap situations, good bank, bad bank, cross-border cleanup types mm-hmm. of assignments, and, and really kept me pretty engaged as a, in the investment banking industry for, for a decade. I then... Um, wound up intersecting with the art market really about seven years ago at this point when I was uh, I was approached by one of my very first bosses in my, my career uh, to help build out a de novo art lending company. And uh, mm. this this was a company that really had a mandate to institutionalize and professionalize the business of lending. Uh, money to individuals and businesses collateralized by high value art. Mm. Super interesting business, very attractive uh, risk reward profile of the asset, an industry that in in some ways had been a cottage industry to a great extent, you know, with the exception of um, some significant private banks um, mm-hmm. who provided the service effectively as a concierge service mm-hmm. um, to, to private clients. And that was really the first time that my career intersected with uh, yeah. with the art market. I, I went on board and that team in a 
classic, you know, almost an internal investment banker role. I was building mm-hmm. models for the company, building investor decks, talking to investors, um, doing all that that basic blocking and tackling. I wound up, you know, so by accident, spending a lot of time eventually in that business, just helping grow the business. I mean, what we discovered yeah. around art lending and and many businesses that are what I would call art market centric are at at their core private client businesses mm-hmm. and. Growing those businesses involve. Uh, and what do you mean by that? I, mean, I, 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 have a, I have a good understanding of on private client, you know, businesses. But I'm sure the audience mm-hmm. would love to hear about that. Yeah, I mean, it, it, effectively, you're loaning money to individuals in those cases, right? And mm-hmm. a lot of the um, the need for capital arises from very specific individual circumstances, individual mm-hmm. liquidity needs um, that are that are driving a demand a demand for borrowing. So, you know, as a result, to to originate business in, in whether it's Artland or any type of private client financing type business, it's about relationship generation. Um, it's about building ideas and building rapport with those private clients over time, which which can be a long sales cycle. And and you know, as a result, I, I spent a tremendous amount of time with collectors, with individual clients that um, were were interested for one reason or mm. another in, in borrowing against their their art collection. And really got to build a really interesting set of relationships in and around the art market during during that time. One of those yeah. relationships happened to be the founder of uh, Masterworks, really at the the early inception of the entire Masterworks uh, project. And and uh, you know he and I uh, started a, a kind of a, what became kind of a long running strategic dialogue around mm-hmm. uh, around Masterworks and. When my prior company then sold to another fintech company uh, just about four years ago, I came on board uh, Masterworks in a, in a full-time uh, capacity as uh, as CFO. Yeah, that's great. And, and I mean, there's probably not that many people who have an opportunity to you know combine a finance career and an art career. Like, if someone wanted to do that and kind of break into this world, like, what would your advice to them be? Yeah, I get this question um, all the time. I mean. What I would say is, you know, the, the world of art finance per se or, or roles that um, that sort of intersect the two. I mean, that's it's a pretty small overlap of of a Venn diagram, if mm-hmm. you will. And um, uh, so for people trying to start out, I mean, my real advice is, listen, build, you know, a core skill set uh, around finance you know, do that at places that are going to give you that sort of robust exposure and work ethic. You know, around around financial services generally. That that may not be within a art company per se. Mm-hmm. Um, if if you want a, a you know a career that you know has a a finance orientation to it, but may may touch the art market in one way or, or another. Obviously, private banks are a very interesting place. Uh, private banks are always trying to think of more thoughtful ways to engage with many of their um, end clients who themselves can be art collectors. Yep. The insurance industry is a very interesting place as well as the mm. art market has just grown uh, exponentially over time in terms of size, complexity, and international scope. Art insurance has, again, become more um, sophisticated and it's gone from really a, a, a kind of a niche PNC insurance uh, offering to something that that's that's much more robust. So those are you know the you know sort of larger enterprises where one can get the benefit of 
a really solid grounding um, in finance and and while at the same time have you know some some exposure in and around the art market those are those are great places to start out one's career awesome yeah that, that's that's such so fascinating so like I, I think this might be also useful we've talked a little bit around the edges of what masterworks does too mm-hmm. um but could you just kind of give us kind of high, like what's the vision what, what where'd you start and where are you at today sure sure at its core, Masterworks is about making art investable, full stop. The art market and a contemporary art market in particular uh, is a one and a half trillion dollar asset class that turns over anywhere from 50 to 70 billion dollars uh, per year. So it's, it's an extensive market in terms of size, in terms of annual sales. Uh, in terms of its longevity, I mean, this is a market that is hundreds of years old. And what what comes out of that is a tremendous amount of data density around around the market that really helps places like Masterworks in particular mm-hmm. uh, build an investment thesis around the market um, overall. I mean, what we've observed, again, in the contemporary art market um, mm-hmm. is one that has grown uh, 14% annually over the last 25 years has done with a very low degree of correlation to other uh, traditional assets. There's a lot that's behind that. Um, look no further than you know the terrific outcome of, of, of auction sales that just happened here in New mm-hmm. York over the last couple of weeks. Again, amid a back, you know, a very uncertain backdrop in financial markets, geopolitical um, and otherwise, and it really highlights the fact that this market doesn't behave like other markets. Mm-hmm. It's one that is driven at its core by investable wealth among the ultra high net worth on a global basis. You know, those are, uh, you know, that's uh, been a secular growth trend uh, for decades among that mm-hmm. group. And that is just a wave of capital that has been chasing a relatively scarce group of assets. And interestingly enough, in the art market, you know, assets that in many artist markets can be can be declining um, uh, mm-hmm. in supply as well. And you overlay the fact that you know the art market is a uh, you know art itself is a tangible mobile store of value. You put all that together, you, again, mm-hmm. you've got an asset that just moves to the beat of its own drummer, if you will. And for Masterworks, the massive opportunity was h- how do we create ways for investors to build exposure. To this really interesting asset class. I mean, we're, we're always astounded that you know this this asset class seems to be the largest one that has never been been securitized. Mm-hmm. So, you know what what we do at a fundamental level is build ways for investors to invest in uh, the most investable segment of the market that tends to be within contemporary art at price points in excess of a million dollars um, across artist markets who have you know, proven longevity at secondary markets, mm-hmm. um, who have proven cultural significance where, you know, where there's the, really the, the most attractive risk adjusted return and then sort of narrowest, you know, mm-hmm. variance in, in, in return outcomes. So in terms of what Masterworks does fundamentally is, is we, we purchase, uh, we acquire and, and research artwork within that segment we buy paintings mm-hmm. and place them within single asset investment vehicles that are then made available to any type of investor 
today through uh, a, a direct to investor platform that we maintain at at, at mastworks.com. So again, mm-hmm. we're doing this sort of full life cycle of securitization, if you will, um, for for the asset class. In that, you know, we are researching the market. We are incredibly active uh, across the our market from from an acquisition standpoint. We have a fantastic team internally that does that and is, is engaged you know across different uh, counterparties in the art market sourcing sourcing work for the platform that then we securitize everything from you know the moment we contract on our work to the moment that you know we launch launch an offering that is ultimately made available to to our investors through through masterworks uh, masterworks.com so interesting and so i guess who are your typical shareholders i mean we talked about the typical buyers of of contemporary art, you know, being high net worth individuals, but what's your it, investment base look like? It spans all different types of investors, but it, it tends to be a mass affluent, high net worth individual mm-hmm. that's putting uh, anywhere from one to 2% uh, of a portfolio to work uh, mm-hmm. over time. So they're real money investors. We don't spend a lot of time around the sort of fifty hundred dollars uh, kind of, you know, hardcore retail crowd. Um, yep. It's real money investors within that mass affluent category that are really looking for ways to create risk diversifiers or find risk diversifiers within within their portfolio. Mm-hmm. And the whole investment thesis that Mashworks has around the art market in particular resonates with with those in Wall Street. Interesting. So once you buy a piece of art, it's owned by this um, single purpose uh, um, entity, right? What happens mm-hmm. to the art? I mean, are you putting it into storage? Is it going to, are you renting it out? Like what's the sort of like opportunity there beyond just appreciation of the asset? Yeah. So we, everything in our portfolio is held in specialized long-term storage. Mm -hmm. Um, We will lend work out to museums and institutions uh, where we believe those loans are accretive or enhancing Mm -hmm. um, uh, to value and exposure to the work. Yeah. Um, over time, we'll be doing more around those, you know, collection management um, initiatives over time. But fundamentally, our investors are, you know, are financially driven. They're, they are mm. seeking alternatives within their portfolio that provide attractive returns, not only on, on a headline basis, but attractive risk adjusted returns and ones that have mm-hmm. relatively low correlation to, to, their other, uh, to their other investments. That's awesome, yeah. And I, I see you have a board eight, uh, board eight behind you. You know, with the explosion of the NFTs, especially in the last you know eighteen months, how is Masterworks thinking about that in terms of, you know, their own investment approach, or you know, just in general? I guess I mean, there's a whole. I mean, we can go down the rabbit hole here with you know creating communities around specific pieces yeah. of physical art through DAOs, et cetera. Yeah, yeah. This is my this is my attempt to to build an NFT uh, NFT <laughs> collection. Um, which I just thought was sort of a, you know, another attempt at, at maybe making a Van Gogh, which is the picture underneath yep. that. But yep. um, we spent a lot of time watching the NFT NFT market. Uh, it's, it's it's a really fascinating market that's built up around fundamentally digital digital art. Masterworks, at the end of the day, is a business that's built around physical art, and there's a very simple reason for that. It's a market that exists. It's a market that has existed, that has pr- proven track record. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you don't need to c- explain to anybody that the art market is a thing. You, you can open up the Wall Street Journal, New York Times, what have you, 
and read about $2 billion worth of art selling at New, you know, New York in the last two weeks, uh, mm-hmm. $200 million Maryland being sold. I mean, it is a, it is a real market with real participants that's existed for um, an extraordinary long period of time. So that's why we get so excited about sort of building products ar- ar- mm-hmm. around, um, around a market that already has a proven track record of appreciation. NFTs, without even getting into, you know, really the fundamental nitty gritty, is a new entrant in many cases. And mm-hmm. there's there's a lot of excitement, a lot of enthusiasm. And I think there are definitely use cases where that where that market will grow. But in, for, from an investment standpoint, you know, the, the vote's not in yet. Uh, it's, mm-hmm. uh, it's, an er- it's an early market. There have been um, some incredible sales at auction, uh, you know, the, the, the Beeple work and, and what have you. You know, but from a master standpoint, there's a, there's a lot we are doing to make sure we understand the market, understand where those opportunities are. And, you know, to the extent there are opportunities that are in line with our long-term investment mm-hmm. thesis on the art market, we'd love to participate in, in one way or another. But, um, but the, the core of what we do is in and around the proven market that is, that is physical artwork. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, that makes perfect sense. And I think about that of like, even like the constitution DAO, if you might've heard of that one, the the folks who are trying to buy a copy of the Constitution mm-hmm. as a physical piece of, you know, physical relic, but, you know, as some, some sort of community investment approach. Yeah. 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 No, I, I think there's, there, there's a, there's a tremendous amount of activity and enthusiasm and we're, we're watching it, uh, we're watching it closely. Before I pivot a little bit more about your, you know, more, you know, finance and CFO career, especially for the, the audience here in the line, you're primarily, you know, primary accountants and finance folks. I just just curious for yourself, have you built yourself a personal collection? Um, and if so, what's your sort of favorite uh, piece that you've acquired? Slowly, slowly but surely, my wife is a uh, is a <laughs> giant Diane Arbus fan. Mm. Um, we've collected a, a handful of her her uh, photos. Um, actually, she just had uh, one of her pieces in, in the uh, in the Christie's evening auction um, last week. So that's you know, photography is always a very a very interesting entry point for for many collectors, and mm-hmm. has been has been for us. So, uh, early days there, but, uh, uh, yeah, no, we will, we'll be building that over time. That's, that's great. So you've been CFO at Masterworks for, you know, is it three or four years now? You know, what have you learned about being a CFO? Yeah, great, great question. Uh, you know, a lot, um, and, and especially CFO at a, at a niche financial services mm-hmm. company or a financial services oriented, um, uh, company at that. I mean, fundamentally, being a CFO and, and also at a, at, a, at a growth company, we talk about this a lot. You know, you need to be able to continue to work at the very highest level, meaning thinking strategically about the business, um, about how we organize data, how we organize people, how we organize workflow, mm-hmm. and then also working at the very lowest level. And there's 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 no getting around, kind of rolling up sleeves to to get work to get work done. I mean, at Masterworks, we don't have a have a corner office mentality it's really a sort of an all hands on deck you know mindset in terms of of building building what we what we have uh what we have here yeah and so i guess how how many employees is masterworks now so we're just about 100 uh, uh and 80 employees we're all office based we've been office based since the outset um, mm-hmm. we found that to be incredibly important um, for our business, just so many decisions, so many um, interactions that are, are just necessary that that happen in real time as we 
as we overcome and solve challenges and, and build solutions in and around in and around this business. Oh, that's, that's definitely interesting. You know, physical art and a physical location mm-hmm. uh, must be must go hand in hand. Sure does. Yeah. And so, what's your finance team look like? So the finance team has grown. We're uh, we're we're just shy of about a dozen people. For a long time, we uh, had outsourced uh, a lot of our accounting and mm-hmm. uh, bookkeeping work. Uh, we've brought in some fantastic uh, accounting staff in-house. We've been able to bring in not only our accounting, but now our tax in-house, which has just been so important to, again, as mm-hmm. the business has grown, the business has grown in complexity, to have the um, this sort of responsiveness of having mm-hmm. those functions in-house has been really fundamental, frankly. Something we we really um, are, are pretty adamant around, mm-hmm. the, around the finance team is uh, having a skill set that not only covers the, whether that's core finance, accounting, and tax, but whether it's data analytics, mm-hmm. whether it's programming to some extent. We don't need developers per se around uh, and the, and the finance team, but we, we do need folks who have uh, a core fluency in them. So, you know, one of our controllers is a, is a data analytics uh, expert. We use Alteryx extensively around mm-hmm. the business. Um, our, our director of accounting uh, is also a computer science background. So there's a lot we wow. can do within our finance team, whether it's prototyping workflows, prototyping out data structures um, that we can do on kind of a a DIY basis before we have to roll in people, say from from the engineering team who we have focused on on other priorities on on the business. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's you know that's been that's been really a, a core focus for us because ultimately we we do the the, the accounting and the tax not yep. not just for Masterworks as a core business but for all of these individual. Yeah, vehicles. I was about to say so is you have I mean, we, how many entities do you have now under we, Masterworks? We have well we have well over a hundred entities uh, at Masterworks. That's growing significantly month over month. Mm-hmm. Those each have their own reporting requirements. Yep. Um, so we've had to get very smart around automation and workflows around that. I think we. Mm-hmm. We manage that with a pretty lean team, and I think the way we do that is again to be to be smart about how we're organizing data, how we're organizing workflows, um, so we can you know, we're not just continually you know throwing mm-hmm. bodies at, at a scaling um, uh, issue. Yeah, I was about to say ten people sounds like a pretty healthy team, but for a hundred entities, that's a that's that's a lot of reporting requirements. And do you ha- yep. do you have other? I mean, I guess for your entities, are they all? They all structure the same way in the like uh, in the same structure, or are they different different geos? Or how do you think about that for yourselves? Yeah, it, it's um, you know our business. The complexity really comes on on the number of entities we're mm-hmm. building and really maintaining, as I said, this whole ecosystem of single asset investments that really allow investors to build diversified exposure across across the assets. So mm-hmm. <clears throat> the good news is, is we by design really created a template across of them. So the reporting mm-hmm. can be consistent across uh, across vehicles. That's very helpful from an automation workflow standpoint. But your complexity just comes in, um, you have a number of them. I mean, we, we did our annual reports across um, nearly 100 vehicles this past cycle. That will grow this time this time next year. So it's all about sort of building uh, mm-hmm. you know, the data architecture and workflows to be able to, uh, to support it. Yeah, fascinating. And have you built secondary markets there yet for people who are who have owned securities? Yeah, we do. We do. We launched a, a secondary market uh, a, a couple a couple of years ago. 
that's become very active. It's a bulletin board secondary market. Mm -hmm. So Masterworks provides that really as a courtesy service for uh, our investors, but otherwise their investors are really finding uh, one another and can trade um, directly directly mm -hmm. with one another. But that's been a, a great form for interim uh, interim liquidity and the one that we're very focused on continuing to, to build out and provide more functionality uh, as we go forward. Great. Yeah. I wasn't sure if you're actually managing an exchange behind the scenes there as well, because that's a whole other uh, can of worms. Whole, whole, nother, whole nother business, but, but I would say it's just at, at a high level that secondary markets and mechanisms that provide more real continuous price discovery around this type of asset, which is otherwise illiquid and has a more of a private equity type profile, is super interesting to us. A ton of our investors uh, love that prospect, and it's one we're very focused on. That's awesome. And so, um, you know, now that you've been a CFO here, like what advice would you give someone who's just started out as a CFO in their career? Yeah, listen, it's, I, I, I love the position. Um, it's one that's really a very much a partnership position with, um, with the CEO or with, with senior, with senior management. Mm -hmm. So having a, a core relationship directly, um, with the CEO is, is fundamental. You know, in many cases, the, the CEO is going to be the one really driving growth initiatives, throwing ideas, seeing what sticks on the wall, um, really you know, pushing the ball forward in terms of the opportunity for the enterprise. And the CFO role is, is really, okay, let, let's put a data framework around those. Let's understand how initiatives pencil out in terms of models, uh, how they pencil out in terms of, uh, of forecasts. That really then give, whether it's the CEO, or other senior management, a real framework and a basis to make smart decisions about growing the company. And um, can you give me an example of one of those um, situations with the CEO that you've held, you know, really worked hand in hand together? Oh, it's, it's, it's really, again, we're, we're all here in the office. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's, you know, it's on a, it's on a daily basis. He and I, you know, collaborate very closely on the budgeting and forecast around the, yeah. uh, around the business. Uh, which is which is obviously as the business has grown, as that process has grown equally in, in complexity as, as as we have a growing number of of uh, departments. But as we grow different products uh, within the whole sort of masterworks ecosystem, ensuring that we're properly forecasting what those look like from a uh, just from a forward capital raise perspective, mm -hmm. ensuring we have the right cost and operational structures to support those. You know, those are conversations we're having on a on a continual basis. Company. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. And I guess I mean, over this time, what's been your biggest challenge as a CFO so far? It's certainly, I mean, from a personal perspective, I mean, the challenge and, and the great opportunity is, you know, moving from a business that, you know, at the outset is is really one that's trying to find product market fit. You're trying to optimize for finding product market fit. Mm -hmm. You're not trying to optimize for every operational detail. You're trying to understand, yeah. do, do you have a business here, mm -hmm. right? And so again, everyone's hands on deck to really find out whether that that's the case. So, you know, I can't, you know, investment banking world and certainly my, my career there was very much an individual contributor world. Mm -hmm. So during those early days of the business, you know, that's your, you know, I'd building the models myself, very mm -hmm. hands-on with data, very hands-on with the arch architecture. You know, as we grow, the onus is on me, you know, not to be modeling out every line item myself, although I, I 
still continue to do that mm-hmm. on a on a on a pretty continual basis. But it's really how do we then empower a team that understands the goals we're driving for, that has accountability for what we're trying to achieve, and ultimately can achieve those goals with the level of work product quality mm-hmm. that you know I would expect of myself if I were doing things individually. So you know that that transition sort of for me personally has been one that um, has dovetailed with with just the changing stages from masterworks from a, a yeah. product market fit company only a few years ago to one where it's very clear there's product market fit and what we're doing and it's about now leaning into the growth opportunity that we see in front of us yeah and i guess that's a maybe an interesting point is like what's your what's been your role in sort of the growth strategy or other sort of like strategic opportunities for masterworks especially i think you just recently raised was it last year yeah, last year we we did a capital raise lev, uh, raised by um, uh, led by Left Lane. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, that was as much driven by a desire to consolidate a massive leadership and first mover advantage uh, that we feel we have in this market. That was to lean into new ways to distribute our uh, our investment products. Uh, we've had tremendous success doing direct distribution to individual investors. We're going to continue to do that. That's going to be our core bread and butter. From the outset, we have had financial advisors, registered investment advisors, all types of intermediaries mm-hmm. come to us with a lot of interest in what we're doing. Um, so as much of that capital raise was to continue to build those parallel distribution channels for the business as, as we grow. Again, fundamentally, because Masterworks is an asset class-centric business, and mm-hmm. we're one that long-term is agnostic to investment product and mm-hmm. distribution channel and investment investor type. What, yeah. w- what was so great for us about the individual investor and individual direct investor channel is it allowed us to prove market fit as a as business, but more mm-hmm. importantly, build track record around the assets from from dollar zero, which I think would have been extremely difficult outside of, of any other distribution chain. Yeah, that's that, that's so interesting. Can you tell, I mean, maybe, like, I, I, I understand the distribution channel ideas here, but can you maybe go one step di- um, deeper for the folks on the line? Yeah, so investors source investments in, di- in, diff- in, in mm-hmm. different ways. So, you know, the, the broad brush way to think about that, at least when it comes to individuals, is the mm-hmm. self-directed investor, that is that is just how it sounds, is one that is, is picking and choosing their own investments. They'll do that across, you know, if you're buying single stocks or you're buying uh, traditional investments can be done through any number of, you know, online discount brokerages, which which have all, all grown tremendously over the last several decades. And then your other bucket is intermediary distribution. So in English, that just means people who use financial advisors. And at the end of the day, it's inter- intermediate capital. So... Um, the difference is there. It's a distributing a product direct to an individual. So mm-hmm. that's Peter coming to masterworks.com and, yeah. you know, you, you, you then make your own investment decision and make your own allocation decisions versus your investment advisor who mm-hmm. has a mandate to, to build a portfolio, um, in accordance with whatever your, your, your risk and return tolerances are, and then gaining exposure through that, through that indirect channel. Yeah. That makes perfect sense. So I guess when uh, can I invest in a, a Masterworks mutual fund? Oh well, we uh, we've had a, a diversified fund product available for for investors. That's been a great way for mm-hmm. investors 
to come into a single vehicle and get in uh, exposure prospectively yep. to to all of the investor uh, investments at Masterworks really addresses a demand among investors who don't want to pick and choose individual mm-hmm. assets, but just want to invest in a, in a single vehicle. So we've yeah. had great, great success with that. And uh, stay tuned. We're going to be doing more um, across those types of uh, vehicles that ultimately are a way for investors to get beta-like exposure to, mm-hmm. to the asset class over time. Yeah. Yeah, that that's great. Well, um, I wanted to maybe pivot um, a little bit farther back in your career. Um, you know, you mentioned that you're in, um, you were at a couple of investment banks, I think it's UBS mm-hmm. and Morgan Stanley earlier in your career. Mm-hmm. You know, what were some of your biggest takeaways from those companies and, you know, how did they get to help you with your experience where you're at now? Yeah, I, listen, they are, they were great places to have started, mm-hmm. um, started my career. We've had several interns and, and young professionals come through Masterworks who have then gone on to um, start out careers as, as analysts at, at those banks. Mm-hmm. Um, they, you know, are, are now and have been for a long time, still are great places to build really that foundation across corporate finance. So it's not just honing the technical corporate finance skill sets, but it's understanding how to work with clients, how to present to clients, how to create high quality work product, how to frankly, just to operate in a, in a professional environment. So those are all just core, core skill sets that were invaluable, obviously, for me during, during that time. And I, I certainly encourage uh, many folks who, who do have the opportunities to, to work at places such as that to, to take them on. You know, they're the long hours and, mm-hmm. and it's a lot of work and there's, there's all, all of that that goes along with it. And, you know, that's not unlike you know, many, many professions and, and for, for people early on in their careers. But what's so important, I, I think, for people to do is, is to take the time to build the relationships that they can, you know, while at, while at places like that, because those relationships are the ones that will open doors and provide opportunities for, for people later on in their careers. I mean, in mm-hmm. a way, my, my experience and my sort of introduction to the art market generally in my career really can be traced back to people I worked with at the very start mm-hmm. uh, of my career with whom I kept in touch with and kept engaged with along the way and then and then open open those doors. Um, I would say generally at a place like Masterworks, it's or any of these art finance companies, you know, we want people who are really skilled in their domain in their area of domain expertise. So well, you know, when we're trying to hire the best finance people for mm-hmm. Masterworks, we want to hire them out of the best places, people who have core grounding and have been in real places. Mm-hmm. We can teach you about the art market, but what's more important is those those core skill sets. So if that's finance, accounting, tax, um, yep. data analytics, you know, people who have really sharpened those skill sets at, at, at real firms and are ready to then deploy them in a, in a growth a really greenfield opportunity like mm-hmm. Masterworks. Those those are the types of profiles we get really excited about. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I would echo that. You know, I, I started my career at Deutsche Bank, so um, very similar, lots of hours, but you know, it's been instrumental in terms of you know how I think about finance and in business, and especially that I think your point, like even maybe more than I even learned, was the network I built and the people I met yeah. there have you know been unexpectedly and amazingly helpful in so many different aspects of my career to date. Mm-hmm. So. You know, what's what's next or what's coming up for you, um, either at Masterworks or outside of Masterworks? 
Yeah, we've got an incredible opportunity in front of us, front of us, and I think we're really just beginning to to scratch the surface of of what we're doing here. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, of course, there's you know we're living through a kind of a significant backdrop of, of volatility in the markets. You know, for us, as I said at the top, the, the art market doesn't tend to behave like mm-hmm. like anything else. The you know it, it participants in the market aren't impacted by GDP or inflation moves quite the same way. So, you know, as a result, you see $2 billion worth of art um, that sells when you see a $200 million Maryland. So this is really a time that the, the uncorrelated nature mm-hmm. of, of the asset class becomes really interesting to investors. We're continuing to see that today as capital, as capital um, continues to flow into our vehicles, which we're, which we're really excited about. So, you know, we're keeping our heads down on the business. There's mm-hmm. a lot more we can do across these single asset vehicles. That's going to be the bread and butter. We're thinking about diversified fund products uh, all the time uh, that build on top of the ones we have mm-hmm. um, presently. Intermediary channels are going to continue to be uh, important as we build uh, on top of those. And as I mentioned, our secondary markets too are going to become more robust over time as well. So from a, from a CFO standpoint, there's uh, a lot of wood to chop. Yeah. Um, we need to make sure we can have uh, uh, really airtight underpinnings from an operational standpoint around around all these products, which we've which we've done really well to date, and and we're going to continue uh, doing that. Yeah, that's great. I mean, I can't wait to be able to buy a Mona Lisa on Robinhood. So I'm sure you all are leading the way yeah. <laughs> in that in that uh, fantasy. We can't wait to make it happen for you. Yeah, um, that's awesome. And I guess you know, as we as we wrap up here, you know, this has been some great insights to our listeners, um, especially about the art world and its intersection with finance um, and all the complexities there. So, thanks so much for being an excellent guest. So, do you have any like social media or you want to direct people to to get in touch with you? Is at LinkedIn or Twitter? Yeah, if people want to get get in touch with me, uh, they can find me on LinkedIn. Send send me a note. Whether it's interested in master, it's generally interested in working for us. You know, we're we're always looking for great talent. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you're if you've got that sort of finance CPA background and you've got a penchant for analytics or you do a little programming aside, we love that profile. We'd mm. love to we'd love to talk to you. Um, or if it's again someone that's that's had that core grounding, whether it. it, it investment banking or, or, or similar and are interested in you know, sort of more growth operational role or looking for smart people all the time. So find me on LinkedIn. Sure, that I'm, uh, I'm there. That's the easiest way to get a hold of me. And if you're interested in Masterworks generally, you know, go to, go to masterworks.com, create an account, start to learn about the asset class, mm-hmm. um, invest if it makes sense for you. We, 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 love, we love to do that. Um, have, a, have a discussion with, uh, with some of our, our staff on the asset class and uh, uh, we love we love to continue to to have that dialogue with people. Yeah, I love that opportunity to continue to um, invest in art and you know unique asset classes like this. Awesome. Um, yeah, and so for everyone else, also remember to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss an episode. Uh, we have a few more coming up here um, shortly. Thanks everyone for listening. Thanks, Peter.